All right. Well, hey, family, it's an honor to be with you today. I am uh, super excited just to be able to connect with you, get to know your pastors, and, and just be a part of your family today. Um, I want to fill in some of the gaps a little bit of my story. Um, I was that uh, kid in this barrio neighborhood in Santa Maria, California. My dad was a migrant farm worker um, as a child, and when I uh, came along, you know, he, he would travel, his family would travel with the crops, and um, when he finally settled as an adult, um, he settled in the Santa Maria Valley, and um, my dad had this woundedness to him because of the broken family he was born into. And God had this way, though, of trying to still reach our family. And so it was in the early uh, 1961, around when um, the uh, Billy Graham crusade came to the L.A. Coliseum. And someone was kind enough to invite my mom to that, and, and the gospel began to do a transformational work in her life, and so our family tree was, was being changed uh, for the good uh, through the power of the gospel. And then um, it was years later when these two awesome white ladies in my barrio neighborhood, every Tuesday afternoon, they would post up at Mrs. Standard's house, and they led a children's Bible club um, called the Good News Club. And I confess to you that I mostly went for the red punch and sugar cookie that they were handing out uh, on my way home from school. Um, but God had a different plan. I didn't grow up going to church. My dad was uh, this machismo kind of dude that didn't want us really going to church. It's not like we were doing anything on Sundays. It's just that that was, you know, some, some Sundays he wasn't working and so... He'd be home, and he wanted us there. And, and so we didn't grow up. I didn't learn the Bible stories, but these ladies, every Tuesday afternoon, would teach God's Word. And I found myself, I can see myself in my mind's eye, just sitting there as a third-grade kid, hearing these Bible stories for the first time. Very low-tech flannel graphs, if some of you know uh, <laughs> that very low-tech <laughs> presentation. But these Bible stories engaged me. God was going to interrupt my story from this broken family system with the power of the gospel. And so I uh, say yes to Jesus uh, in that living room, on that living room floor in Mrs. Standard's house. And for two years, that was my church, if you will. Uh, in fifth grade, they bridged me to their little Baptist church up the street. And that's when I began to kind of engage more with a church family like this. And uh, I was like the chip in the chocolate chip ice cream. It was this uh, beautiful Anglo community. And I was the Latino kid in the, in the midst. And they loved me so well and, uh, and just walked me. They were the first ones, as time went on, to take me to camp. And, um, and they, you know, just all these ways where the gospel in this church family God was using them to rewrite my story. Um, I share all that to say this, that uh, the gospel was free, and I said yes to Jesus as that third grade kid. 
But because of the broken nature of my relationship with my dad and his brokenness, the family system I was living in was very much a um, conditional love kind of home. Not on my mom's part, she was very gracious, but my dad's power and control kind of shaped the culture of our family system. So here's what I mean by that. It was a very much you do your part and then love is given kind of reality in my home. And so I was always feeling pressure like I got to mow the lawn before my dad asks me. I got to dump the trash before my dad asks me. I have to get straight A's. I was the one Latino kid getting straight A's for the most part, you know, and with the help of some of my Asian friends in my school and stuff. And uh, serious, true story, true story. Ken Jin, his family owned the Chinese restaurant. And I, Ken, bro, what'd you get for number seven, you know, and walk me through this, man, seriously. And uh, so here's where I'm going with that. It was free to get in to God's family but I transferred some of the works, religious works orientation from my family of origin into how I now was relating to God. So if I had a quiet time, somehow I thought, well, well God loved me. And on the days when I didn't have a quiet time, I thought God's love for me kind of went down just a little bit. Um, if I, you know, was repping Jesus on my high school campus, you know, and living for him, you know, boldly, then God's love went up a little bit in my mind. And when I was maybe fearful and sheepish about my followership of Jesus, that his love maybe came down. Because that's how my dad, that's how love worked in my family of origin. And it wasn't until this gospel essential that I'm going to share with you today began to interrupt my misunderstanding of how the gospel and the efficacy of what Jesus did on the cross until I fully understood how powerful Jesus' work on the cross was for me. I was living this Christian life where it was free to get in, but I kind of had to keep working to keep earning God's approval. And all along, God wanted me to know, my work on the cross was so thorough for you, Larry. It was so generous. It was so lavish that you were already chosen. You were already loved because of my son, Jesus. And so when you woke up today, when I woke up today, we didn't have to do anything to re-earn his approval. We were already approved of. Can I just tell you today, I spent a lot of years in my earlier days of my Christian life working religiously with certain activities I was doing, uh, religious activities, having a quiet time, you know, just those things that, you know, attending church, being at a prayer meeting, ah, 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 as though God's love would go up if I would do these things, meaning that his approval was dependent on my self-effort. Here's the shift in where we're going today. I want to take us to a place where we can begin to do ministry in life from a place from approval, not for approval. 
I spent so much of the earlier part of my Christian life trying to earn God's approval because that's how I've related to my earthly dad. And the whole time, our Heavenly Father is saying, I've already approved of you, man. That's, what, that's what's so good about the gospel, <laughs> you know? Like, what are you doing? You already have scoreboard, yo. What are you doing? And so today, if you've come to church and you're new uh, to the church family or you're younger in the Lord, and, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but maybe this was a little bit of some of how you internalized the gospel, I want to take us... Uh, to understand uh, the thoroughness of what the gospel makes possible. And so I want to take you first and foremost to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I want you to, to see God's word. And, and, and this is where it all starts. This is a gospel essential that every Christ follower needs to fully understand what the gospel makes possible. It's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Let me say it one more time. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. To be actual sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Other theologians call this the double imputation. Meaning that Jesus, if you've, if you've, if you've said yes to Jesus and you've said, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own and trying to earn your approval and trying to be good enough in my own power or, God, I've, I've messed up. I've, I've been trying everything the world has to offer and I've still come up wanting and I've said yes to Jesus. I need you. Lord, I need you. Like we sang in worship this morning. If you've said yes to Jesus, can I tell you today that Jesus' work on the cross gives you his, his righteousness so thoroughly that you are now, when God looks at you, you are righteous in his eyes. And the, that, that double imputation happened where your unrighteousness, my unrighteousness and my sin got credited to his account. That's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he had the full weight of all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, on him, where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How else could God the Son experience separation from the Father if he didn't take the full weight of our imputed unrighteousness and sin onto his body on our behalf? Family, this is a gospel essential to understand the efficacy, the thoroughness, the effectiveness of what Jesus' work on the cross made possible. I want to illustrate it this way. I'm going to, I'm going to bring, uh, is Ken here, our, our acoustic worship guy? Ken, come on up. I'm going to pull Ken up here. And uh, come on, Ken. Come on. 
And I'm, I'm going to pull uh, Pastor Tim up here to, as well. Ken, you got the hair for this, bro. You're Jesus today, bro. Come on. Maybe you've seen him on The Chosen. I don't know. But, um, and then this is Pastor Tim. And uh, man, brother, this is going to be rough today, bro, because I... Uh, before I came, I, I did some work, some background work, and I had access to some of your files. He thought some of his past was expunged, but uh, we did some, a deep dive, and we found, we found some stuff on you, bro. So I hate to put you on blast today, Tim, but I don't know if you guys know this, but um, there have been a couple times in Tim's past where he cheated in school. He disobeyed his parents. There have been times of, hey, impurity like all of us and unhealthy thoughts, envy and materialism. And like all of us, sometimes some self-righteousness or a critical spirit. Sometimes it's looked like slander or divisiveness when we've been hurt. Unrighteous anger, hatred, cared too much about money or reputation or personal comfort, didn't care enough for the poor, or the marginalized, or the lost. And then imagine if we took out multiple more sheets of paper and we reduced the font and we put all of our collective sins on this page, right? And so this great exchange happened like this. So imagine your sins, my sins, Tim's sins, Ken's sins, all of our sins before he was Jesus, all right? Just sorry. And the humanly, right? So imagine from our file, it's transferred over to Jesus' file. Our unrighteousness now gets credited to Jesus. And now we take Jesus' righteousness, his perfect nature, his character, his grace and love, his forgiveness, his goodness. And that gets credited, that gets imputed, transferred to our account. You see, it's not just that Jesus took our guilt, it's also that he gave us his righteousness. We are uh, credited with the righteousness of Christ. This is the doctrine of justification, that we've received his Imputed righteousness. And so Tim stands up here not without, you know, not, not in the sense of his own humanity and sin. He stands here before you representing all of us with the righteousness of Jesus that's been credited to his account. And so we don't do life from a position of striving and trying to earn God's approval through our self-effort, we've already been approved of. We've already been accepted. He's already given that because of Jesus' work when he hung on the cross. This is what we mean by the great exchange. Would you thank them for helping me today? Thank you. Thanks, Tim. The reason I want you to see this and understand this and embrace this, because there are far too many pastors and Christians that are still living as though we have to continue through our self-effort 
wake up each day and, and seek to stay in good standing with God through our, our, the, the subtle little ways we, we try to you know, walk with God. And I'm just saying, I want to I have a quiet time. I'm actually more motivated to have a quiet time because I get to, not because I have to. Before, when I, was, when I was over here like, hey, good Christians do this, Larry. When I was in that save but self-effort mode, it was like, ah, oh, you know, the grind. Always thinking God was, was, was just a little disappointed because, man, is that all you got, Larry? Is that the best you got? And now I wake up every morning and I'm already approved of. I'm already chosen. I'm already loved. And so when I open God's word, it's just because I get to and I want to. And if I miss a day, his love for me does not go down. He's like, let's get it tomorrow. Keep going. Let's go. This family is what makes the gospel good news. And there's so many de-churched people and hurt people because they've never understood the depth and the efficacy of what Jesus' work on the cross actually made possible. If they knew this was actually God's heart for them and the, and, and the generosity of what the cross made possible, more people would want to know him. So it's so essential that we embrace our gospel identity. This is a key gospel essential. And as we walk and live as people who have, who have been uh, loved much uh, through his generosity, it's going to attract people to the heart of God when they begin to understand the massive generosity and grace of God. And so today, that's where we're going in our, in our talk. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, would you? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Beginning in verse 3. This is so essential. This is a key gospel essential that we get. Let's pick it up in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Stop right there just for a moment. I've, I, I've read that so many times and I've read right through it because I thought I really understood it and I didn't. I didn't understand the depth of this until I understood the theology that we just discussed about the great exchange, his imputed, the power of his imputed righteousness. And so can I just say that in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There, it's as though there's this treasure chest, spiritually speaking, that Jesus' work on the cross made possible for every Christ follower. And so many times there's this treasure chest of grace and love and acceptance and approval. And we're not embracing the full effect of what his generous grace has made possible. There's all these spiritual blessings in Christ. If you're in Christ, this is how God sees us. But we're not necessarily embracing the fullness thereof. So, 
We've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And now he's going to unpack what that looks like. What's actually in that treasure chest because of his grace and his work on the cross. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So stop there for a moment. So in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you said yes to Jesus, you are chosen. You woke up this morning, you are already chosen. You hadn't done one thing to re-earn his approval because you don't have to because you've already been approved of. You're already chosen in him. And can I say that the text says before the creation of the world, before you were and I were even born, from eternity past, he chose us. We hadn't done one thing to earn it. But he was thinking of us. And his grace was so thorough, so generous, so lavish that he chose us before we even we even took a breath before we even knew we needed him. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Did you know that you're adopted? He not only chose you, he welcomes you the text says, according to his pleasure and will, he, he welcomes us as his children. Imagine your joy as a parent, as a grandparent, when your children or grandkids approach you. Not so much when they're teenagers all the time, but when they're really small and cute. And I just remember... <laughs> Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And they would talk, you know, kind of just when they walk like Frankenstein a little, they're just getting there. And, and they just, and, and then my heart would just embrace them. Our Heavenly Father loves us with that kind of love and embrace and acceptance. Adopted to sonship, children of God. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us, in the one he loves. Again, in Jesus. Verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Redemption. What does that mean? The action of gaining something in exchange for payment. Full payment. A clearing of a debt. Can I tell you, um, when I accepted Christ, I was that little kid in third grade with my simple, childlike prayer of faith. I was redeemed at that time, just with that simple prayer of faith, even as a child. And then I spent a bulk of my early, I, I confess to you, a couple decades of my life following Jesus with the idea that it was free to get in. 
But if I wanted to stay in good standing with Jesus, I kind of had to keep working for him, for his approval, instead of from that place of his acceptance and approval. And the whole time he loved me, he's crazy about me. His work on the cross made me fully acceptable to him and it was though didn't get to understand the theology and I didn't walk in light of that truth. It stole so much joy out of that early phase of my Christian life and ministry. So maybe you, like me, have had a similar journey in your faith. Unbeknownst to us, we take on this subtle self-effort approach to our Christian life, even though we know it's by faith uh, by grace through faith. Free. It occurred to me that it would be the equivalent of getting a credit card statement where you worked really hard and you, you paid off your credit card. And then you somehow got that last statement where it said 0, 0.00. You were... You were paid in full, back to the text, you were redeemed in exchange, like for your payment to the credit card company, you now owed nothing. And it occurred to me how absurd it would be for me to then just send another payment to the credit card company. It already said 0.00, but I was so used to pain, the minimum, all those times perhaps, that I would get that statement, even though it said 0.00, that I might just send them another check, because I've been doing that for so long, right? It's absurd, right? None of us would do that in actuality, but it occurred to me that that's in fact what I was doing in my Christian walk. The whole time, Jesus was saying, you are fully redeemed. A debt has been paid in Jesus. Larry, you owe nothing. 0.00. But I was subtly kept writing these monthly checks, if you will, daily checks, as though I had to do this self-effort stuff so God would keep loving me. I'm here to tell you some good news. This is what makes the gospel so audacious. This is what makes the gospel good news. Because he does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's so generous and kind and good. I wake up every day now out of gratitude. That I don't have to serve him to stay in right standing, but I get to serve him from this place of acceptance as his redeemed son. I come to church and I enter in worship, not because good Christians are supposed to worship, but because when I see the words on the screen and I, and I, and I remember to celebrate and exalt him for his generosity toward me, it's, a, it's like a different switch has been flipped for my, the motivation of my heart. It, I follow him out of gratitude. Not out of have to. And I hope you'll walk with me on this journey. Let me, let me wrap it up because I know there's a celebration to, to get to on the 
back 40 here. Um, let, me, let me take us back to the text, uh, verse 8. That, uh, the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. Verse 11. In Him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. For just a moment, can you look through this text? Can you see some of the riches of His work on our behalf? Can you see some of the spiritual blessings that He's given us in Christ? That we're already chosen. We're already loved. Um, on the screen, our gospel identity of what Jesus makes possible. You're chosen, you're loved, you're adopted as His child. You are redeemed. You are sealed. His promised Holy Spirit is that seal that reminds us, <laughs> you're his child, I'm his child. His work in us, even when he brings conviction, that's just a reminder, hey son, I'm right here, I love you, let's, let's, let's work on this. There's one more theological understanding I, I want us to embrace here, and it's the theology of uh, justification because this, his work on the cross has been credited to our account, so we're justified. That's the already. We're already justified. We're already paid in full. Our account, 0, 0.00 because of Jesus' work on the cross, and our sin was imputed to Jesus that, on the cross. That's, that's justification. That's the already. We're already justified. The not yet is the sanctification process. That we still wake up. Now God looks at us through that lens of Jesus. He looks through Jesus' work on the cross. We're standing behind Jesus, so to speak, as he looks at us. And he sees redeemed, forgiven, chosen, loved. We, on the other hand, we know we've been justified. But we know that we still have... Uh, um, our faith in these earthen vessels. And there are some days we are not our best selves. We don't always choose to, to, to follow Him or to surrender. or You know, we, we know. And so it's this tension between the already justified and the not yet fully mature and who He's calling us to be. And so we meet with them. We have a quiet time, not because we have to, but because we get to. 
And we say, Jesus, keep maturing me. Keep growing me up. Keep sanctifying me. I know I'm already justified, but would you mature me in my walk with you? I want to love my wife and kids better. I want to love my spouse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like we want him to keep maturing and growing us so that we can be to the praise of his glory. But he's on this journey to maturing us in that. And here's, here's what I close with. Uh, when you walked in today, you were given a, uh, like a half sheet. Uh, I'm going to read. I want to remind you of this gospel essential one last time. What Jesus' work on the cross has made possible. And this is how I want to land the plane. I want to, I want to read this because I want you to be able to catch yourself when you're slipping back into performance-oriented followership or when you're living in, the, in light of the gospel essential of what the gospel makes possible. So, let me read this for you, starting on the left side. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion says, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. But the gospel says, motivation is based on grateful joy. Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God. But the gospel says, I obey God to get God. To delight and resemble Him. Religion says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself since I believe, like Job's friends, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. But the gospel says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know that all my punishment fell on Jesus, and that while He may allow this for my training, He will exercise His fatherly love within my trial. Religion says, when I'm criticized, I am furious or devastated because it's essential for me to be thought of as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. But the gospel says, when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it's not essential for me to be thought of as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. I became a Christian by understanding these truths. Therefore, in Christ, I can take criticism. Religion says my prayer life consists largely of petition and only heats up when I'm in a time of need. My main purpose in prayer is changing my circumstances. But the gospel says my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose is fellowship with him. Religion says my self-view swings between two poles. If and when I'm living up to my standards, I feel secure and confident. But then I'm prone to be proud and unsympathetic toward people who fail. If and when I'm not performing up to expectations, I feel insecure and I feel like a failure. But the gospel says, my self-view is not based on a view of myself as a moral achiever. In Christ, I am simul hustas et peccator, simultaneously sinful and lost, 
yet accepted in Christ. I am so bad, He had to die for me. And I am so loved, He was glad to die for me. This leads me to deeper and deeper humility, as well as deeper confidence and gratitude. Religion says, my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work, or how moral I am, so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I feel superior to others who don't try as hard as I do. But the gospel says, my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for his enemies, who was crucified outside the city for me. I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down on those who believe or practice differently from me. Only by his grace am I what I am. I have no inner need to be better than others. Religion says, since I look to my own pedigree or performance for my spiritual acceptability, my heart manufactures idols. It may be my talents, my moral record, personal discipline, or it might be power, control, approval, and comfort. I absolutely have to have these idols so they serve as my main hope, meaning, happiness, security, and significance in spite of what I may say I believe about God. But the gospel says, I have many good things in my life, family, work, spiritual disciplines, etc., but none of these good things are ultimate things to me. None of these things I absolutely have to have, so there is a limit to how much anxiety, bitterness, and despondency they can inflict on me when they are threatened and lost. As you leave this place this week, I, I want to challenge you to live in light of what the gospel makes possible. I want you to live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I want you to wake up and be overwhelmed again by the gratitude of, with gratitude for His grace for you. That He chose you from before the foundations of the world. You hadn't even been born yet, so you couldn't do anything to ever earn it. And he chose you. I want you to be encouraged that it's not your performance that he's looking for. He just wants to love you because you, were, you, you, you humbled yourself to say yes to Jesus. And that's made all the difference in your life. And I want you to be messengers of hope because when you understand the goodness of the gospel... It's easier to tell people of his generosity and what he's done and is doing in your life. So essential, such an essential part of the gospel. Would you pray with me? With your head bowed, I, there's two uh, types of folks I just want to talk to briefly. Maybe like me, you had a misunderstanding of what it was to follow Jesus. You, you knew at the beginning it was free to get in to God's family. But once you got in, maybe like me, you misunderstood and you thought you had to strive. And through various self-effort attempts, you tried to keep up your acceptability by your self-effort and work instead of trusting his work that he already did for us.
Would you just acknowledge that and say, Father, I receive your generous work in Jesus. That your work on the, on the cross is what has made me acceptable to you this whole time. I don't want to try to keep thinking I can add to what you've already done. On my best day, I can't add anything. My best effort, your word tells me, is like filthy rags. God, I just trust that your work was thorough and effective for even me. Help me to walk in what the gospel and Jesus' work has made possible for me. And then maybe there's someone here today where you're like, man, uh, my grandma made me come to church today, or, you know, I'm here, but I'm kind of just checking things out. Man, we're so glad you're here. You're not here by accident. Can I just tell you that? And if maybe hearing this today, you're like, wow, you mean the creator God loved the creation so much that he sent himself in the form of Jesus to die on the cross for my sins? And that's the, that's the most incredible deal I've ever heard of. He wants to take my sin and give me his righteousness. If that's you today, and maybe this is your day to say yes to Jesus. And your prayer might be something like this, Lord, I've tried it for a long time on my own. Trying to, tried the world tried some religious stuff, maybe, but God, some of the stuff I've done isn't working. I need you. Lord, I need what Jesus did on the cross. He died in my place. I deserved that that punishment. My rap sheet, I'm a sinner. I've messed up time and time again. God, would you forgive me? Would the work that Jesus did on the cross cover even me? I embrace that today and say, Lord, I need you. Lead my life forward. If that's you today and you prayed that humble, honest prayer, can I just remind you that God loves you? He receives you as his son or his daughter. And all the things we talked about from Ephesians 1 are for you. That's how he sees you because you are willing just to humble yourself to him and receive what he's done for you. We'd love to talk with you after the service. Come talk with someone at the, at the cross. Share your story. We'd love to resource you and walk with you. Father, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for the truth of what the gospel, what Jesus' work on the cross has made possible. Help us to walk and, and, and experience your lavish grace and to be just the best messengers of hope because we've benefited much and now we can brag all kinds on you because you've been so good to us and generous. We praise you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.